everybody. This is Bill Knauer, and you're listening to Author to Author, where we talk about writing and life, because what it takes to write the book you want to write is also what it takes to lead the life you want to lead. That's true. Author to Author is brought to you by Author Magazine, the premier free writing magazine on the internet, featuring articles on writing and the writing life, as well as video interviews with best-selling and award-winning authors across the genres. You can find Author Magazine at authormagazine.org, and we are funded by the good people at the Pacific Northwest Writers Association, supporting writers from pen to publication. Since 1965, I will be there. 1955. I think. Not 65, 55. That's right. And I'll be there at their yearly conference, which is coming up in September. Uh, so I hope I see you there. Yeah, it's going to be really good. You can learn more about that conference at pnwa.org. I just want to mention, if you haven't checked it out yet, my new podcast, Fearless Writing with Bill Knauer on YouTube and all podcasting apps it's out there. Little five to seven minute dose, not too long, just enough to get you revved up and remind you why writing is worth it. Yes, it is. All creativity is worth it. All of it. So, Oof. Hey, big one today, T.C. Boyle. That's right, T.C. Boyle. Got to talk to the man himself. and He's a fascinating, funny, interesting guy, and we had a great conversation, but sort of about his new book, mostly just about his philosophies, his approach to writing, his very interesting life. And, uh, well, I'm so glad I get to share it. If you didn't know it, if you're not familiar, T.C. Boyle is a, novel- a novelist and a regular contributor to The New Yorker, and he has published 18 novels, including most recently uh, Blue Skies, but also including World's End and Tortilla Curtain, and 12 collections of sh- short stories. And he's also a distinguished professor of English Emeritus at the University of Southern California. So, yeah, Blue Skies is his latest one. The guy just keeps cranking them out. I mean, not cranking him out. He loves it. He cares about it. But they just keep coming. He's a creative fella. At it for a long time. Had a lot to say. And uh, I'm glad I get to share what he had to say with you. Enjoy. All right. Well, listen, this is a treat. This is a treat. I've got none other than T.C. Boyle on the show. Welcome. How are you doing? I'm doing great. We uh, I live in Santa Barbara, and we had uh, the other day. It was it was something like out of Julius Caesar. We yes. had earthquake during the hurricane. Yes. Uh, fortunately, uh, the hurricane did not hit Santa Barbara. We only right. got about uh, four tenths of an inch of rain. It it went inland, but still, oh. still, it was an odd day. It was. <laughs> I was noticing that. I have friends, and my my daughter lives down there. And I was like, good. It's getting a little biblical. On them, it seems like rain and earthquakes and the locusts, I guess, will be next. But you survived. I'm glad. And you're out of a drought, apparently. In fact, uh, I went to the beach on the day that the hurricane was coming late in the ah. afternoon with a book and my dog. We're the only people there, uh, creatures there, yeah. Uh, aside from the uh, birds, and uh, I lay out there by the ocean uh, with a little drizzle coming down, waiting to see what the result would be. No tsunami, everything was okay. <laughs> well, I'm glad you survived. I'm glad you survived. So this, uh, all right, let's just for the viewers, blue skies. This is book like number thirty, thirty-one, thirty-one. So this came out in mid-May. Uh, you've done so. You've been through this a few times now. Is there a familiar sort of arc to what you go through with the release of a book from the first month to the second month, to the third month, or does each one have its own giddy app to it? Oh, what a question! Uh, we tour a lot less than we used to. I think COVID yeah. had something to do with that. And also the, the, the publishers realized that they can do Zoom instead of sending the author to Cleveland or whatever it is. Right. 
And that's okay with me because, of course, I've done this for a long, long time. Yep. And have have done many, many book tours. So that, for instance, with uh, Drop City in 2003, I did 75 cities worldwide. Whoa. Whoa. Hardcover and paperback. And I love to be before an audience. I love to do interviews like this one. Um, but, <laughs> you know, it started to wear a bit. So yeah. uh, I'm okay with the balance now. And so, you know, we'll do some interviews uh, with the press and uh, do a little traveling. Uh, I did the German tour already. Uh, and I also did uh, a couple of cities uh, for this tour, uh, including St. Petersburg and Miami. Because Really? Oh, because the book, yeah. Set partly in Florida. Yeah. So you did the German tour already. I remember talking to Andre Debus. I don't know if you know him or not, I but yes, he I was do. talking about doing a German thing. And uh, he said he went over to do a reading and did not realize until he sat down that the reading was going to be for like three hours, two hours. They just sat down at like a theater and just said, here you go, start reading. Was that, this might've been in the 1990s. No, I don't it's know still, still, it's do still just like this. Uh, really? Uh, a thousand people and I sold out a uh, big arena. Um, it's very, very exciting. I'm delighted to have so many fans. I have great fans here as well, but we don't do so many big events anymore unless it's right. for an arts and lectures kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. You know, so I have to mention this. I feel absolutely obligated. So there's a guy I just interviewed two months ago named Joe Milan. Junior, this is. I'm just. I'm not here to publish this book, but it's a lovely book called The American, The All American. And during the conversation, he mentioned we were talking about his his journey to fiction writing, which was unusual. But the moment that turned him into a fiction writer was reading a short story called Greasy Lake, which he read some time ago, and it was because of that story that because of the way you handled characters that reminded him of himself to some degree, that he thought, oh, uh, who I am belongs in a story. Uh, and and then months later, or years later, he published his first book, Interview, and mentioned that I was going to be interviewing you, and he was very excited. He said, please tell him. So I share that well, with I'm, you. Wait a minute. I'm thrilled, Bill. Uh, okay. I'm thrilled. Tell him uh, uh, I'm honored and uh, and delighted, and that uh, pretty soon, I guess, I'll be founding my own religion. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> this story, Greasy Lake, is my most anthologized and most popular. Um, it's about something we've all gone through. It's about right. teenagers trying to butt their heads up against the world to see who they are and what the world is. Um, it's been anthologized a lot. And uh, everybody, male and female, has been down to Greasy Lake at some point in their lives, usually right. in their teenage years. Yes. And so when you hear that story, so it does that doesn't hearing that doesn't get old for you that someone was moved to start their own creative life based on something. I am absolutely thrilled. I mean, all yeah. art comes from other art. We are all turned on in various yeah. ways. One of the most interesting things for me is when I am in a, in a crowd at, after a reading and signing books and meeting people and talking to them, how so many of them will mention a story or novel of mine as having been you know, very important to them in their lives. And it's, Fascinating because why this particular one? I don't know who they are, of course, and I'm not yeah. writing for that individual. It's that that's what art can do. It can touch yeah. you on so many levels, and it it really um, is rewarding for me. 
I'm always aware when people talk, have read something of mine and they want to talk to me about it. It always feels like I'm aware when they talk to me about it, how they're, they have their own book. <laughs> the book that they read is their right. own. I mean, though I authored it. They, it's, they're really, they're having, they're talking about experience that they alone have had that you sort of participated in, but really only peripherally. Does yeah, that well resonate? Said. Very well said. I, I, I think that is the way art touches us. We, yeah. we take ownership of it as fans, as, as readers, as viewers of movies, listeners to of music. And it means something to us that the author can't really imagine, which is why also book reviewing is so odd uh, in a way, because even, I don't, by the way, I don't participate in even reading the reviews anymore. They're too aggravating. Even Good, though, good for you. you. Even where they love you, because yes, don't they do love it. you for wrong reasons. It That's right. Crazy. I don't really need uh to know how they interpret it exactly. Yeah. Um, I like that the audience is interpreting a book. Uh, that's uh, that's fascinating and again an honor for me. But um, wow, the the way they come at it is so various. It's kind of disturbing to you as an artist. And it, acknowledge, I will acknowledge that you know the artist coming from some deep place i don't know where it's coming from is yeah. there a universal unconscious i think there is because i can't imagine where this material is coming from out of my head and into my fingertips all that is true uh and yet i have a fairly clear vision of what it is once it happens and once it's done right. write right. a thesis about the book right and it's kind of <laughs> disturbing to see that other people have such um, unusual takes on it. I, I think I, I dropped out of college. I didn't, I just couldn't jive with it, but I remember taking literature and I knew I wanted to write. I, I knew I was going to be in the creative fields. And so that was really my relationship to literature. And I was so puzzled by, and I know you met, you got a PhD in English literature. So you probably immersed yourself in the academic side before you became creative, before you became, before you pursued creativity, I should say. And I remember being puzzled, like, well, the, the, the professor would be talking about the book. And all I could think was, well, that's your opinion. That's that's what you like. Who cares what your opinion is? I, right. You know, but of course, one great way that we communicate as fans of any given art form is to discuss it among ourselves. It's true. And it's a good true. professor will lead a discussion that's open ended and allow people to make discoveries of what it is that they're talking about. And it can really enrich the experience of reading something. Uh, I, uh, my career, like yours, was a little spotty at first. I uh, I didn't do well as an undergrad because I had other priorities, that is, getting drunk right, and finding <laughs> a woman who could yeah. tolerate me. Um, so uh, when I went back four years later to grad school, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to be a writer, and I wanted to go straight for it. And I thought... Right. It would be helpful if I knew something of the history of our literature. Oh. And so when I went to the Iowa Writers Workshop for the MFA, I immediately started taking PhD classes and wound up with my PhD in 19th century British because of I love the material and I had a very dynamic professor who right. me up. Yeah. So you did you know, because you strike me as someone who was I'm just getting a hit off of you as someone who was interested in the creative world even before you went to the Ira Writers Workshop. Then yes, even I as a young man, to, you 
I wanted to be a musician. I went to uh, Potsdam, New York uh, uh, State College for music. But when I got there, I flunked my audition. Ah. Because I could play my saxophone standing on my head. I could sight transpose. Right. But I had no feeling for the music they expected us to play. Uh, so then I was there at undergrad school, and I declared a history major, and then a double major in history and English. And in my junior year, I blundered into a creative writing classroom I and kind of knew what I was going to do. I later, uh, a few years later, I was a singer in an in a R&B band, a, yeah. a punk R&B band. And I realized that's what I can do. That You don't have to count beats. You don't have to know anything. Right. You just emote. And yeah. it was probably the greatest experience ever. Also, because I never do anything in my life in conjunction with other people. Nothing. I fly solo uh, <laughs> for better or worse. And so for that small period when I was uh, playing with these guys, um, it was kind of thrilling on so many levels, the emotional level, most of all, but also because here we were um, going for the same thing at the same moment and letting yeah. each other. Um, music to me is, is the greatest and most immediate art. I've never written anything without music playing. I listen to music oh. every day. The only time I don't listen to music is when I'm out in nature by myself. Uh, by the way, I can never understand people jogging with earphones and anything like this. Yeah, I, I want to be in nature and part of nature. But otherwise, here, you know, when uh, just before I came on with you, I'm doing my emails and getting ready for the day's work. And uh, of course, I'm listening to music. And once I start writing, I will be listening to music as well. When you listen to music when you write, Lyrics or no lyrics? No lyrics whatsoever, unless it's in yeah, a okay. language I don't understand. So, right. yeah, the lyrics will take you out of it. So yeah, I'm listening yeah. to jazz and uh, classical music yeah, when I'm writing. Yeah. Otherwise, I'm listening to uh, rock and roll, R&B, reggae, and so on. When you say, I love your description of it, that, that music is just, you, or playing the punk R&B was you just pure, you just had to emote. That was my experience when I first started doing some music performance and right. and. It struck me when I got back into writing music in my 40s, because I, I found I could do it on the computer, which helped me because I couldn't play the things I was hearing, you know, so it helped me in that way. But but I found it improved my writing because it connected me in a way that I had become disconnected. Did you feel that the, as you described, the pure emoting of punk helps you in your writing in terms of tapping into that emotional connection I think it first? Was more, more vice versa. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. Wow. The writing first. Writing is, for me, the line is very important. The rhythm and the beat of it is very important, which is why I love to perform yeah. in public and read it out loud. And I read yeah. to my wife every day, not so she can criticize it, but just so I can hear it. I want to hear the beat and how it sounds. So the writers I most admire are writers of beautiful lines. I hope that I'm writing beautiful lines. Uh, yes, of course, at the, at the basis is I'm telling a story and, uh, and so on, but the use of the metaphors, the use of the description, the way the rhythm works in a given sentence, this is all important to me. Yeah. And so as a young man, you must have been a fan of art of all different kinds, but then you start having fairly early, once you start publishing, you start having some success. Um, certainly, uh, I mean, Water Music was your first novel or was it? Yes. Your, okay. Yes. That was where I first introduced to you. A friend said, you must read this. And I said, okay, I will. And I did. And I really liked it. And so this is an interesting full circle moment for me. But so you, so then you start publishing and you start having some success. 
And you must have had the opportunity to meet some of the people you had admired when you were up and coming and a fan, Did both maybe Absolutely. musicians and writers. What was that Absolutely. like for you? I've met a lot of, of, of people whom I, uh, whom I worshipped. Uh, yeah. I think first and foremost among them is Robert Coover, uh -huh. who uh, later in life became a, a good friend. But it was Coover's Prex Songs and Descants, or a book of stories that really turned me on. I was... Uh, kind of directionless deep into the drug scene in new york yeah uh but still reading and thinking i might write something and i had begun to write some stories sort of in that mode and here they were fully formed and he just turned me on garcia marquez is another one uh calvino with uh the absurdist playwrights uh, all of that stuff turned me on in the moment to writing as something that's alive rather than something that's in a textbook Right. And right. I did to meet, you know, most of the writers uh, I admired over the years and sometimes be on stage with them and sometimes be friends with them. Um, and it was pretty thrilling. And some musicians, too, uh, over the years. So you talked about, so you've done, so 31 books, most of them novels, like one, how many short story collections? Two? 12, 12 short story collections. Oh, 12. And 19 right. novels. It's a lot of stuff, a lot of stories, a lot of yeah, stories. There are, and there are a lot of stories. It's a lot of stories. And one of the problems with that is, so there's probably 200 stories uh, yep. aside from the novels. And when I'm in a, a story uh, mode, as I have just been after finishing uh, uh, Blue Skies, um, I think of an idea. I think, wow. And then I realize, wait a minute, you've already written that story. Said, that's no. what I was going to ask you. Does that happen at it this does, point? But the, the world is so fresh and so interesting. I have a story in The New Yorker this past week. Uh, and it derived from my desire to talk about COVID guilt. The story is mm -hmm. called The End is Only a Beginning. Uh, what is it in the 21st? Here, oh, here it is. Right here. Oh, there it is, people. Go get it, people. Go get it. Very good. Uh, you know, the thing with the New Yorker is there's a new new issue out already. Yeah. Uh, and so I wrote a story about a guy uh, having guilt because he brought COVID back from France with him ah. early on in the beginning of the pandemic before we knew what it was. I also wrote a story that's in the, the last book of stories about the pandemic, the 13th day. And. Uh, oh, yeah, it's in this one. The thirteenth day. Mm -hmm. It's um. I wrote it in the beginning of the pandemic when we didn't know what was going on. I yeah. mean, this one that's in the New Yorker. I'm looking back, but th that was in the moment. Uh, no idea what was going on, but I was fascinated. Always been fascinated by disease, and I've written a lot about it. Um, and in this case, the cruise ships <laughs> that oh. could yeah. not find port. Right. So I meditated on that uh, in March of the year that this began before we knew what it was right, it was just starting yeah so trump was saying was, don't come it's exactly, not real exactly. right. so of all the stories in uh walk between the raindrops that one has a date stamp at the end of it because i wanted people to know that this was an imagining in the beginning of the pandemic and in fact my agent held the story back for about a year because he felt uh what was happening was too frightening yeah. for this story to come out at that very moment. Yeah, and it is, as you'll see, it's a it's a kind of 
humorous story, but of course, like most of my humor, it's blackly dark underneath. Right, right. And so, uh, but you're still interested. You still look around and you see stories. I mean, I know it sounds kind of silly in a way, but I have met people who are creative people, engaged people, and I realized they had, they were done looking. They had kind of run out of for the towards the end of their life. I'm lucky because the way I interpret the world is through fiction. That's the way I do it. I, I mean, I can express myself here with you, right. but that really is not deep or meaningful for me in the way that the story itself on the page is, because there I'm discovering things. Yeah. So, uh, as I was saying, after this novel, I've done six new stories, and now I'm into the next novel, and yeah. at the end of that. I'll hope to have six or seven more new ones. And that's the way I work. So there'd be two uh, two novels, a collection of stories, two novels, a collection of stories. That's the way it works. That's okay. half before a novel, half after a novel, because you do run out of ideas. Right. And so in this one, uh, the first story I wrote in this one was an Esquire in July called Sanctuary. And during the time of writing uh, Blue Skies, all of this crap with trump was going on which right. you know, infuriates me and makes me completely crazy but right. i couldn't address it because i'm locked into a novel so the first story right. is called sanctuary and it, in it you will meet a woman with a red mega hat on so the stories often reflect what's happening now and what confuses me and interests me in right the moment. right in the moment because so that's what i was going to ask you is uh, i was talking to paul harding who wrote the book Tinkers, mm -hmm. but and, mm -hmm. and he just released his latest yes. one, and right. it was a great conversation. And the thing he landed on, which I really liked, which I very much ascribed to myself, which is he said, "Look, no presumptions." He felt no presumptions, even in every sentence. Don't presume you know what the sentence is even before you write the sentence. Like discover, 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 discover. Whether you outline or not, but just purely discovery. Is it's that like what we were talking about I earlier with music? Yeah. Uh, it's improvisatory, purely. Yeah. Uh, yes, maybe music when I'm standing up there in those days at the microphone and you can listen to me doing, I put my spell on you with the ventilators at tcboyle.com. Okay. <laughs> Have your ears burn a little bit. Uh, uh, it's 99% emotion and maybe 1% yeah. control. With what I'm doing on the page, I would say it's maybe... 90% emotion or or unconscious and maybe 10% control. And in this real spell of it, as you know, uh, you're completely lost in some yes. other dimension. Yes. And that is the beauty of it. That's why I do it. Yeah. This is why, by the way, I, even though I have my PhD and was a professor for many, many years, I didn't want to be a man of letters and give speeches and write essays uh, on various occasions because there is nothing that turns me on like creating in the moment. It's what takes you out of your life. And it's why we need art so desperately because we live in a fathomless universe that is antithetical to us and, and horrible, actually. Uh, and, and the mystery kills us that I want to address the mystery. And this is the only way I can do it. I've always felt that that moment that you were describing of where you kind of go down the rabbit hole and you lose track of time and you're lost in the mystery. That to me, I don't know what you wouldn't, I, I would tell my students don't write if you don't enjoy that moment. Like, cause really 
whether you get published or not or how much money you'll make or not, that moment of becoming lost in what you're creating, whether it's poetry or memoir or fiction or doesn't matter. Or even writing an essay for class. Exactly. The same thing. Exactly. You, yeah. you, you fumble around and, and then for some moments you're not there anymore. That's right. That's right. And I write about my own life. That's I take personal essays and I don't, I lose track of myself. And I want to lose track of myself. The person on the page who has my name, I think of as like a character, you know, in a story. And that becoming lost, it's a strange thing though, isn't it, TC? Because you're kind of, you're becoming lost. I feel like I both discover myself and lose myself at the same time. Does that make sense? Mm. Lose one sense of myself, maybe. I don't know. Anyway. I've, I've not written much autobiographical stuff, although, you know, it's people who know my work. I'm just talking well. about writing in general. In other words, right. that, that sense of becoming sort of transparent. I feel like I lose one sense of myself, but become reconnected to a deeper sense of who I am. <laughs> it's more like being God. You're the God of a universe that That's is right. under complete control. Whereas as soon as you step away from it, you're in a universe that is fathomless yeah. and horrible. Uh, yeah. So uh, I can agree with you there. Yeah. That's part of the thrill of it. But I was saying, you know, I haven't written much autobiographical stuff. Uh, because my mind has always been jumping to uh, craziness and any kind of scenario. I, I, I feel I could write a story about anything from any perspective, and that keeps me excited. But yeah. I have written some. You mentioned Greasy Lake. That is autobiographical elements, although it's right. a, an autobiographical story. Uh, up Against the Wall, uh, If the River Was Whiskey. People can who know my work well can point to some of these stories and yeah that's part of what i do um but a smaller part than just pure invention and but even the but the invention is autobiographical i i mean that i'm not that's not really the best use of the word but you have to find what you're interested in in other words if i said write a story about a pirate and you wrote a story about a pirate, and I wrote a story about a pirate, and your daughter wrote a story about a pirate, they would not be the same story, obviously, right? So the thing that uniquely interests you is, I don't I, I don't think there's anything more you than what turns you on, yeah? Yes, and so back to the beginning of our conversation with people who read and interpret your work, this is why we have no idea how they will see a given work because their idea of this pirate is completely uh, individual to them yeah 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 i always think i don't know if you ever think this way but my it's been my mission to say i want to live my life away from the desk the way i feel while i'm writing as as much as possible i want how i feel when i'm just going around the world to feel like i know i can't ever completely replicate it because there is the sort of control one has but that's what i'm shooting for that no is my big deal. no big my, deal aged dark rum <laughs> that'll get me there <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, I, when i'm not writing uh of course i'm trying to keep this house from falling down as, as we all must right but almost every day uh as you can tell from my twitter feed i am out of doors uh yeah usually with the dog and by myself i like to be in nature alone i don't want to go on a hike with a bunch of people and chatter away <laughs> i just want to be alone either whether it's at the beach or up in these mountains here or taking the kayak out uh, I need that. And I have that every day for a couple of hours. And of course, I go out uh, to the beach or to the mountains and I go someplace where I, where I know I won't see anybody and uh, settle down and read a book or meditate, look around. Uh, that, that, that calms me and allows my brain to go into some kind of 
other meditative state. Yeah. But I would not actually, I don't, I've not hung around with you other than this moment, but you don't strike me as what we would call antisocial. I, I suspect you enjoy a certain amount of it, but you also appreciate the necessity of solitude. Exactly. Maybe, maybe you're becoming increasingly antisocial as you get old. Maybe that sometimes happens. With <laughs> no, uh, you're exactly right. But uh, as far as my experience of nature, I want it to be solitary. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my experience in society is always enjoyable. I love, I'm a jokester. I, you know, I love yeah. to, uh, to hang out and, and, uh, have all sorts of, uh, absurd fun. Right. Right. Well, you know, we're here to play with each other, you know, at the end of the day. All right. So book 31, blue skies. I was just writing a song called blue skies when this showed up on my desk. So it was meant to be, it was meant to be, um, Feeling pretty good. I know you got more stories in. You already told me you've got some down. But I, um, and by the way, people buy it, go out there, get it. Of course, naturally. Uh, before I turn you loose, I have one more question for you. And so you've got your thinking hat on there, I see. And so just finish this sentence without thinking about it. If writing, all the writing you've done has taught you anything, it's taught you what? Lyle love it. Taught you Lyle Lovett. Why? Yes. All right. I've because asked that question a lot of times. That's the first his answer. version of Blue Skies that I'm using for this book. Do you know his version? I don't. Oh, it's brilliant. It's yeah. really brilliant. Um, what has writing taught me? Yeah. That uh, life is a disaster and we're all doomed. Wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> Your experience of writing has, your actual experience of being in the writing has taught you that life is a disaster and we're all doomed. Yeah. And I suspected it before I started writing, but writing. It just confirmed it. Yes. Okay. Oh, that's great. TC Boyle, thank you. This has been awesome. This has been a lot of fun. That's great, Bill. Thank you. You know, I think the funny thing about his answer about <laughs> we're all doomed, life's a disaster, we're all doomed. I think somewhere, because he's a pretty happy fellow, is my experience of him. I think somewhere in the conflict between his overall, I felt, jovialness, whether he sees himself that way or not, that was my experience of him. And that outlook, there seems to be some creative fire in there. There must be. There must be. Because he keeps on going keeps on going and so do we so do you i hope uh, i want to thank my producer rj jeffries thank you my friend i want to thank all of you for listening thank you for listening and as always you know uh don't know what to do with yourself maybe go for a walk on the beach maybe you sit down and play the flute i don't know but whatever it is you do go find something something you love to do and do it mm-hmm.